0: Books.
1: Welcome to Every Day I Read the Book. Mm. Every, day read the book. Mm. Every Day I Read the Book. Yeah, you might have heard the song Every Day I Write the Book by Elvis Costello. Here on this episode... Of this podcast, we're talking about reading books.
0: Yeah, we are a music podcast, and now we've turned into a book podcast. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah. We're talking about music books.
1: All of the cool people left. All the, cool people, I mean, <laughs> they heard the word yeah, book like, and they were oh, like, books. Yeah. Cool. So, what the oh. fuck? I thought they were going to talk about Weezer. What is this shit? Um, yeah, this is the book episode of the podcast because we are music listeners and we are book readers, and recently reading a lot of music books, and uh, we wanted to talk about them because they were all really good and worth talking yeah. about.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah?
0: <laughs> and we are English majors after all, so.
1: We are English majors. That might not always French. be um, readily um, apparent.
0: Yeah. I was trying to think
1: of, top like, top. A, a smarter <laughs> vocabulary word than apparent. Uh, <laughs> just to, right, like, burr, 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 burr. Yeah, to de- yeah Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What can you do? <laughs> you can do a whole lot of that for starters,
0: but we got to talk about books.
1: Yeah, it's our
0: English major power. they only right,
1: yes. right? Yeah, yeah. It's a gift and a curse. You know, you're like, I want to talk about books, and then most people are like, <laughs> I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, much rather talk about anything else yeah (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah if if you're not into the written word um maybe you should tune into our last episode where we just got drunk on emily's birthday and (laughs) did a bunch of hot takes
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't were we even drunk i don't think we were
1: not really it wasn't as bad as the my birthday episode yeah that one, if you are not a reader, that one is really for you. If you like dumb crap, oh my god. I like beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like books I like beer. <laughs> well, if it's not the woke beer anyway, uh... no woke beer. Have you been have you been reading about that? Or did you hear about that at all? No Okay. It? I you know, like, apparently, like Budweiser partnered with like an influencer who's a trans person, and just uh, oh. everyone, everyone's lost their mind. I, like, yeah, I um, heard
0: that uh, Kid Rock was like, yes, popping his endorsements or yes,
1: pod favorite Kid Rock. He, he like shot a can of Budweiser as if that wasn't something people just do generally anyway. Like, right?
0: you he spent all, all, all of his time anyway. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because um, you know Kid Rock, uh, son of uh, a car dealer, a guy who owned a bunch of dealerships. Uh, he's a man of the people. Um, <laughs> he's he's had it up to here with all this uh, this PC bull crap. Um, so he's gonna shoot the cans.
0: Wow. Um, so, what a martyr.
1: <laughs> uh, Travis Tritt, also. Do you know who Travis Tritt is? This
0: whole story. Oh, you know, I was going to tell you that George Strait is playing at the Ohio State. I think Ohio Stadium. With Oh, we have to go. Like,
1: but he's playing with. I'll bet Travis you, I'll bet you he's not going to be George Trans when he plays there, though, because <laughs> of the way wow. he, it's going these days. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, we should totally go to that.
0: Well, he's playing with Travis Tritt.
1: Wait, what?
0: Let me let me see. No, wait. Maybe I was wrong. That's he's... terrible. Oh, it's Buckeye Country Superfest. George okay. Strait, Chris Stapleton, Little Big Town, and more.
1: Not Travis Tritt. No. Travis Tr- Travis Tritt. He's he's toxic, <laughs> man. He's refusing to sell Budweiser on his tour. Wow. Not that anybody gives a shit. Um, you know, here's a quarter. Call someone who cares, as he once said so eloquently. Um, yeah, but here we are talking about beer, and uh, and Travis Tritt when we should be talking about high literary art. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start here.
0: Yeah, so we got to we could just say what books we've oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I read a book called The Girl in the Back, um, a female drummer's life with Bowie Blondie in the 70s rock scene. Jack, what did you read?
1: I've read three music books this year, I've read uh, Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. That is by the Columbus based poet and essayist Tanith Abdurraqib. Uh I read Music of Subversive History by Ted Joya. I don't really Ooh. know how to say his name. Gioia. G- Goya. <laughs> Goya. <laughs> Goya. I'm going to say Goya. Yeah. Any way
0: you say it sounds good to me.
1: Goya. Goya. <laughs> Okay, that's... Anyway, much. music is a of history. And then I read The Philosophy of Modern Song by Bob Dylan. Received it for Christmas. I did. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> you might have received it
1: for Christmas. <laughs> it was a hot gift. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was like a bestseller. I'm sure so many people were... You know, it's like a good-looking book, and they were like excited to dig in, and then they just read the first page. And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll maybe get into that one. I don't know. Part of me wants to do like a whole episode about it or an episode on a different podcast perhaps someday. Yeah. Um, for now, I can start by talking about the Hanif book. Sure. Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. Um i thought it was great i thought it was his best book um oh. yeah and you've and read
0: uh, quite a few of his
1: books i have yeah so i read the essay collection they can't kill us until they kill us a couple years ago and then i read uh the little devil in america which is about the history of black performance i read that last year um so this was actually the the third book that he wrote as it says on the front cover. The front cover which like looks amazing. Emily, I'm so glad you bought this one for me for Christmas.
0: I did, and it was awkward cuz I was at Prologue Bookshop and looking around and I saw that book and I was like, "Ooh, this sounds like a good one for Jack, but I I wasn't sure if you had it yet." <laughs> and so I didn't want to buy it for you, but I also didn't want to like give away what I was considering buying you for Christmas so I was just like texted you hey what books have you read by of <laughs> Abduraki and then you didn't get back to me and I was like I can't stay in the store forever so I was like in the checkout line she was like ringing up my books and then you, you were calling me and I very awkwardly was just like asking you <laughs> that same question like <laughs> in front of the like the checkout girl
1: yeah and yeah. had so, to
0: slyly act like I was just asking because I was curious, not because yeah. I
1: was Suffice to say Christmas it was price. it was the it was the least surprising gift I've ever received, <laughs> yeah. um, but it was a really good gift, and I was gonna say not only was it just like a great read, but it looks so good. it's just, like a good item to have around. It's just like it's like a black book, with gold letters, and just like this really beautiful Soft cover. So uh so props you just
0: like stroke it like yeah.
1: that's what I'm doing I'm now on honestly. Your pillow at night I'm down I'm down here I'm doing, like, the, doing the good old page riffle that we I did so when I worked at half price books, I did the page riffle hundreds yeah. of times every day. Um sometimes, you know, as a way to test like the, the durability of a spine, but sometimes just to be like, Oh yes, the riffle. <laughs> um yeah. What can I say, dude? I'm, I'm George... George Gay for books. Gay. Um... <laughs> what? <laughs> George. <laughs> George Gay. Oh Not
0: yeah. like George Straight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh
0: my god. Yeah. This I'm is, like him. this joke is just like so labored over. It's, we gotta move so, on from so, George Straight.
1: <laughs> so fucking tedious. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, this is a book that he wrote. It's the third book that he wrote, and it's about a tribe called Quest, um, uh, a group I wasn't terribly familiar with before I finished this book, but that I've gotten more into since I read it, just because it it's so persuasively um, argues for like their importance and their greatness. And it's it's written, I mean, it's basically like a series of essays, and he goes over... Their records. There was a documentary made about them. He goes over that. He goes over their their rise, their fall, their disillusion, and then their um, their sort of comeback that they did a couple years ago. And then he goes over the death of, of Fife Dog too, uh, one of the rappers in the group who uh, tragically passed away. I mean, in two thousand sixteen, I believe, just right on the heels, or maybe I forget if it was before or after they released their comeback record. But anyway, yeah, it's a series of essays and about half of them are are literally written like letters to members of the group, to people associated with the group. So like everything Hanif writes, it's just got this very intense and emotional and personal aspect to it, Um, which, I mean, just befits the group, not only because like their story is marked by tragedy, but just because like their music is so... um, I don't know. It just feels like so so alive, so like of its moment, but I think kind of timeless in a way too. So it's been fun. It was fun to read the book, and it's been fun just sort of digging into their catalog and uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I did. I tell you that I've been listening to the Low End Theory as part of my Greatest Albums of All Time project.
1: Um, oh, I figured it was going to show up eventually, but no, I don't think you mentioned it to me.
0: Yeah, I'm, it was, uh, like, a few weeks ago or something. Right. Um, Yeah, because I think we had, like, listened to it together at dinner one time. Right. So I was just starting that album. It's, but, not a, um, it's
1: not a great dinner listen, I think.
0: No, it's not. You have
1: to experience <laughs> it either via headphones, I think, kind of, like, in a really, like, intimate personal space, or, like in a parked car with the windows rolled down (laughs) on, like, a hot day. You know, those are, like, the two venues for that record.
0: Yeah, Um, I was driving home from work the other day, and it was, like, nice and warm and sunny. And which song came on? I think it was Jazz came on.
1: We got the jazz, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was just, like, blasting it, and it sounded so good. And I've been listening to it, like, while working, just, like, not like quietly, but like not super loud either, and uh, that really elevated it. Yeah, bump it from the car speakers. I gotta say, it,
1: you gotta let it bump, right? It's literally yeah. called the low end theory for a reason. It's about drums and bass, like it's, yeah. it's about that bottom end uh, coming through. So,
0: yeah, it's such a a jazz inspired album.
1: Yeah. He well, does. I mean, that
0: song is literally called "We Got Jazz." Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> and
0: I don't even, I don't even like jazz, but it's yeah. a really cool album. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. I think,
0: like, yeah, the bass is so important, and it's like, the yeah, the bass is so loud and warm. And it's just like really reverberates. Yes. It sounds. You crazy.
1: um, I mean, the main character of the book is Q Tip because, I mean, he's the man some people say he's the greatest rapper slash producer of all time um and and he does the majority of the verses on those records and he does the majority of the production too and uh just like a like an audiophile and a polymath just like a man who apparently like his house burned down like in the late 90s and he lost like all of his records but just like a guy who owned like thousands of like jazz and funk and rock records and just had such an ear Mm -hmm. for like finding samples for just knowing when to turn something into a loop. Yeah. Um, And just also like that mix, especially on those early songs of things that are like kind of familiar, like the walk on the wild side sample and, um, and can I kick it? Yeah. But also things that, nobody else probably cared about at all that he just got into somehow just crate digging and then turned into these amazing songs. So just a, a real, a real legend. That one.
0: Yeah. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. It's just crazy too. Like Hanif talks about it in the book. Like sampling was really tough back then for a few reasons. Right. I mean, in the middle of their career, that's when suddenly the industry decided to get really anal about, well, basically about black people being creative, you know, like using found sound and turning it into new things. Like that was when the era of just constant lawsuits really took off and having to clear a sample using tens of thousands of dollars to get like five seconds of music from an old record. Um, So that made it difficult, but also just the technology like it wasn't like he had pro tools or something he couldn't just get the mp3 file get it like rip it from spotify or whatever and plug it into whatever program of choice you know he had and just like repeat it it was like you know you had to like put it on a tape and then you had to like isolate that tape with another tape just like this very painstaking process just to produce um You know, just, like, kind of a simple, like, three-sample rap song. But it's just amazing Mm -hmm. how well those songs have held up in spite of that. Just, like, how almost primitive, like, that technology was. But he really made it work for him and for the group.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's not, like, something like Paul's Boutique that's just, like, screaming, like, samples. It's just, like, all these different, like recognizable samples spliced together. Like, they're really subtle. You know, when I'm listening to it, I'm not just like, oh, yeah, that's a sample from the song or that song.
1: Right. You're not playing that game all the time. Because that's not what it's about. I mean, there's some of that with any kind of sample-based music. There is for me, anyway. I really think it was, it is like the low-end theory. It was about, like, isolating those sounds and emphasizing them and then just doing cool raps over it. Yeah. So there really was nothing like them before those first couple of Tribe records. You had like conscious rap was kind of a thing. And it was, it was intelligent rap, you know. Um, but just in the middle of kind of like the gangsta rap era, the first era of gangsta rap, to just make music that was so like laid back and chilled out and kind of cool and groovy.
0: Yeah, it's very, very cool and yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some rap where like the emphasis is so much on the rapping itself, and the music is not that interesting. If you if it just was the beat without the rapping over it, it, it wouldn't sound great. It'd be kind of boring. Um, mm-hmm. But that music can be great too, because like the rapping can be so incredible that like you know that's what what matters. Um, but with Tribe, like the beats are so good. As soon as it it, it uh kicks in, you're just like, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> like you know, you just get into this groove. You feel like you can just listen to that beat like over and over and over. And then the rapping is almost like icing on the cake, right? But obviously, like the rapping is is great too. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry, I'm like i'm Looking through the book now and trying to like find, because the, the Hanif Durakib is a, is a very good writer. You know, lot many people are saying this. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for like a passage that really like puts that over. There's an essay toward the end called "Common Ground." It just brings together. It's such. It's all basically about 2016, and just like what a fucking year that was. Hmm. And he begins a chapter talking about. Leonard Cohen's death. Huh. And, well, honestly, he tells a story that I didn't even realize about, like, Leonard Cohen getting in touch with with Marianne, of, like, So Long Marianne fame. And, uh... And just, like, him writing her a letter and, uh and then he passed away very shortly after that. Hmm. And then she passed away very shortly after that. Maybe I got the order wrong here. <laughs> but
0: I can tell you're trying to find it.
1: Yeah. Dang it. Yeah, I should've I should have marked some passages. Suffice to say, the essay Common Ground in the book is really good. Because it starts with that and then it talks about like the Trump election and it talks about police violence. And then it talks about within that context, like this this very this 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 uh milieu, what am I trying to say here? This environment just like of despair, like a tripod quest, like Coming back out of nowhere and mm. then dropping this amazing record. Um, yeah. Who
0: would you recommend this book to? Like, if you're not, in if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Tribal Quest, so did you not enjoy it
1: very much, or um,
0: is it good for any music fan?
1: Yeah, I'd recommend it to. <laughs> to just about any music fan, I think. Just because the way Hanif writes about music is so compelling. Um, I mean, he writes about it from the perspective of a fan. I don't think he himself is a musician. He's a poet, so he understands, like, music. Um, but it's just like, you, you when you read him talking about these artists he loves and sort of paying tribute to it and like honoring them just like, it's just like a very, uh just a very powerful thing. You know, the, the sense of gratitude he has toward these musicians is like very cool. You don't, you don't see, even like music fans don't usually express it in that way. Um Not in a way that's like as intelligent as he does anyway.
0: Yeah. Um
1: And it's, it's very cool um obviously like i think tribe fans and rap fans will have like a field day with it but again i didn't i don't have a ton of hip hop credentials um and i really enjoyed it so yeah cool.
0: i love that it's called a love letter
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, well, just, well it's called know,
0: like, the-
1: yeah yeah to
0: your point that's not how books most Music books are written even by like big fans of the artist. Um, and what a cool idea to just to write it in that style, like this place of gratitude and like to actually write letters to the members of the group expressing that gratitude. I think that's really cool and he's yeah. I mean he's a poet, so I imagine like the, the entire style of the book is really. Already, i would think
1: yeah so just to give you like a taste this probably isn't even the best passage but i just found it so yeah this is from that essay common ground and again he's he's talked about 2016 was was bullshit you know i remember it i was there i was was 28 at the time um and uh uh and he's he's talking about their performance is he talking about their performance at the grammys uh i think so but he says the show this is a a paragraph he says the show it seems ends here and we didn't even deserve for it to take us this far earlier that year i didn't think i wanted another tribe called quest album then fife died and i wanted another tribe called quest album more than anything then it arrived and was even greater than i could ever have asked for The heroic and brilliant tribe called Quest who almost certainly have nothing left to give us now. The greatest rap group of all time who returned in a week when the world caught fire to give us one final everlasting gift. It's one way to keep a beloved ghost in our ears, no matter what uncertain hell awaits. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Love that. And then he finishes the chapter talking about the story of uh, Phil Spector putting a gun to Leonard Cohen's head um which is like a chapter in itself yeah yeah
0: monster
1: phil specter sucked yeah (laughs) yeah he's talking about i should i'll I'll read this too if you don't mind so he talks about phil specter he has that album death of a ladies man have you heard of that no uh, yeah, people hated it when it came out. Um, he made it in like the late seventies and like a very pa- bad period in Leonard Cohen's life. And he did it with Phil Spector and the recordings were just a mess. And it's it just like one of the weirdest records you'll ever hear. Cause it's like, is Leonard Cohen and like his kind of normal kind of way of being, but in these just ridiculous over the top orchestrations. Um, it's just like, it's so like chaotic and bizarre. But he says, Hanif says, when the album was released, the response was predictably lukewarm. Drowned Inspector's bag of tricks. The album hardly had much of the traditional Cohen in it the audiences were looking for. The story I think about, though, comes from the recording session. In the depths of him, during the recording of the nine-minute title track, which took an entire day, Spectre, at random, pulled a, put a loaded pistol to the neck of Cohen and cocked the gun. Uh, oh I love God. you. I love you, Leonard, he said. Cohen without blinking or without panic calmly responded i hope you love me phil spectre lowered the gun
0: oh
1: <laughs> yeah and then he oh says and he kind of ends it all in this like poetic way he's like all this is about mercy i'm talking about what it is to be from a place that promises to love you while holding a gun to your neck he's talking about america i'm talking about what it feels to have the gun lowered uh. briefly by the hands of some unseen grace sometimes it is a protest that stretches long into a night or sometimes it is a reading a reading where a room hears familiar words and cries along with you as you read them out loud. But sometimes it is a perfect album that arrives just in time to build a small community around you, to briefly hold a hand over your eyes and make a new and welcoming darkness of the world outside, even when it is on fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a good book. People should read it. Yeah.
0: Amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like with most music books who the writers are and like what their history is their background if they're like most of them specifically write about music or if they write about all kinds of topics but this one sounds so unique in that like Hanif is is such a writer first and foremost and a poet and like you know he's not just like telling you the history of a band but is able to like infuse so much like beauty into the language itself right so sounds like a great rate even if you're i don't know maybe this isn't true but even if you're not a music fan yeah the, like, the language of it
1: yeah if you're that's just a certainly... human being with
0: a pulse
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that's certainly that's the case with his other collections too i mean they're they are almost a lot of them are like kind of tangentially music criticism. He'll use that as like a jumping off place for just these like really moving ruminations about, um, like life and death, honestly. Um, cause like, it's, it's hard, man. (laughs) It's, It's like, it's like hard out there. And, uh, yeah. And I think his thing is just like, um, yeah, there are like these kind of moments of grace, you know, like music gives yeah. us like that space to uh I don't even want to say like escape or get away. I don't think that's what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. But just to sort of like find beauty, to find other people, you yeah, know, frankly. to make some yeah. kind of a connection. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so. Yeah. Yeah, you it's kind a... of
0: like religion in that way. Oh, Yeah
1: but it's so much better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah. Back in the days when I was a teenager, before I had status and before I had a pager, you could find the abstract, listening to hip hop, my pops used to say it reminded him of bebop, I said well daddy don't you know that things go in cycles, way that Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael, it's all expected, things are for the looking, if you got the money, Quest is for the booking, come on everybody let's get with the fly mode, still got room on the truck load of black gold. Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture of this black man, black woman picture. Why do I see that? Because
0: I gotta speak the truth, man. Doing what we feel for the music is the proof, and playing it on the ground.
1: The act is so together. Going to fight strong, you need leverage to sever. The unit is yes, the unit, is yes, the unit called the jazz. Is delivering each year. And yeah, over should we move
0: on to my book?
1: book? Yeah, let's hear it.
0: Which is very different. It's not like poetic at all, but uh. <laughs> But, um, no, so my book was called The Girl in the Back, A Female Drummer's Life with Bowie Blondie and the 70s rock scene, written by Laura Davis Channon. And it is her, um, sort of a memoir from her childhood or from her, her adolescence, growing up in New York City in the 70s, um, where her dad had custody of her, but he was, he worked for, like, uh what was it i want to say like time magazine he's like a art director or something and really just like put his career first and was just kind of a neglect or a negligent parent um so she just kind of like
1: had <laughs> was all just this like a, a pretty standard dad in the history of
0: that <laughs> yeah right? so she just had all this freedom um and she was like a good kid and was like studied really hard in school cared a lot about academics and stuff but just kind of got like swept up in the music scene out of nowhere i mean she was a big fan of music and just kind of like an oddball in school and had a friend who was really into music too and then somehow they got this ragtag team of people together um to start a band and like she got pulled in to play the drums Had never played the drums before at all. Like, didn't know how to play. And started taking lessons. Like, as she was already a member of this band. Uh, And same with the bassist. The bassist was a woman, too. Or a girl, I should say, because they were both, like, teenagers. And um, the bassist was also taking lessons. And yeah, everybody in the band was a teenager, but they started playing, like, CBGBs and stuff, and all these legendary punk um, venues in New York City, and did pretty well for themselves. Um, at one point, they like opened for the Cramps. Um, did you mention the
1: name of the band yet? I'm sorry.
0: Oh no, I did not. Sorry, it was called the Student Teachers.
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, so they're not like they're not well known at all. Um, and they just kind of dissolved early on in their career. They like, recorded some stuff. But they were only together for a couple of years. Um, yeah, she was actually 14 when she started playing in the band, so very, very young. Um, and just kind of, like, rubs elbows with all these these famous people and describes this scene of, 1970s late 70s new york punk new wave scene and just how like grassroots it all was the fact that a, a band like hers was just like these kids could play these legendary venues and open for these really well-known bands um it was just a time with like so much freedom and just the spirit that like you know you can do it yourself you don't need a lot of money. You don't need, like, a big record label. You don't need these connections. You can just start from the ground up.
1: The punk ethic, I've heard it called.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Um, and then, one of the major things that happens is that she starts dating this guy named Jimmy Destry, who was a keyboardist for the band Blondie. And... So they start this relationship together, move in together, and he's got a lot of connections in the music industry. So through him, she starts hanging out with, like, the other members of Blondie, and she gets introduced to David Bowie and actually, like, ends up forming a friendship with David Bowie. And that's just kind of, like, the most mind-blowing part of the book, I thought, (laughs) was just to hear, like, well, yeah. To <laughs> hear that experience, so, so she starts the book off, um, describing going to a Bowie concert in this huge stadium. She's a teenage girl. She's just obsessed with David Bowie, and just like can't believe that she's seeing him in a flesh and blood, even though he's like, you know, a tiny ant on stage from where she's sitting. But she's just like so enthralled and yes. screaming her head off.
1: Would that we could all experience that kind of <laughs> yeah, ecstasy. Yeah, like, that would be... To be a even teenager that alone would teen, be amazing. David Bowie, yeah.
0: And then, cut to her actually meeting David Bowie, like, through her boyfriend, Jimmy Destry, at a party. Uh, I think it was at, at Debbie Harry's party, actually. So she's already started, like, meeting these cool... Yeah, already,
1: already has that fucking Debbie Harry. <laughs> right. You know, I've not uh, met anybody at 10th as cool. You know, no offense to the people I've met, but yeah. <laughs> yeah what about me? <laughs> oh, what about Georgie? Uh, yeah. But, uh,
0: but Bowie's just another level. You know, he's just kind of like godlike status. And so just to see him, I mean, she was just losing her mind and then to like talk to him and shake his hand. Um, but through Jimmy, she ends up like Hang out with him a lot. And uh, David is, uh, he's in the United States for, like, I think he's touring, he's producing an album. He's getting, like, really into art and, like, performance art and stuff. Because he was such a Renaissance
1: fan. He's getting really into performance art, actually.
0: Yeah, like, he does the, uh, the Elephant Man. Do you know, like, he played the Elephant Man in a theater production?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, so he's like doing that.
1: Who wrote that play? I got it somewhere in my book head. Uh, anyway. I know. David but, Lynch uh, directed the film. He was not in that, I'm pretty sure.
0: Oh, okay. Cool.
1: Now, David Bowie was in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. So. He was. Yeah. He's not yes. talking about Judy.
0: Um. <laughs> I forgot about that line. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember anyway, what that sorry. is. I just remember that line.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like um, that line without any context is, you know, uh, uh, it's about the same level of clarity as you get from the film, you know, with the, okay. in that scene. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is what you want from Twin 20-
1: right 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 it's 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 fantastic yeah bowie perfectly cast for that role where he just runs into an office says we're not talking about judy and then screams (laughs) and the scene is over
0: (laughs) yeah okay cool i (laughs) I forgot like what happened but they
1: they found a way to bring him back in the return i forget exactly how they did it because it was released just after he died i'm pretty sure I think they had recorded his part in advance, and so his voice is in it. Um, but yeah, huh. yeah. Sorry, yeah, we're, but... going, we're going down a lynch rabbit hole here.
0: No, it's all good.
1: <laughs>
0: um, but I think the the single craziest part of this book is that she ends up kissing David Bowie at one point. Oh. Mind blowing. <laughs> And then he, in classic David Bowie fashion, he just uh, rides off into a cab the next morning to go to his Elephant Man production that he's late for, and she never sees him again. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed this book. It was a really fun read. It's not like her little bio in the back says she's a writer and a lawyer. But it doesn't say anything else that she's written. Um, so I don't know if she's published anything else. But it the writing didn't come across to me as like a, <laughs> someone who's a professional writer. <laughs> I think it's like, you know, it, it's it's well written enough that it's like it flows well and everything. But it's written in pretty like plain English. Yeah. Um
1: I wonder if that wasn't an intentional decision, though, just because I feel like the way you describe it, I mean, the poignancy of the book comes from her just being kind of a normal person
0: yeah, um,
1: in like the most miraculous time and the most miraculous scene. And then like having that those moments of just like rock and roll bliss and then just kind of gradually, you know, fading back into normal life for better or worse. I mean, maybe for better
0: yeah Um. yeah it kind of it reminds me not that the subject matter is or the tone of it is similar at all Mm -hmm. um but it reminds me of that book go ask alice which i read as a teenager Mm -hmm. with that that like 15 year old girl that like gets involved in drugs and then like takes over her life and she spirals out of control and I don't I, I don't think it was even a true story. I think it came out that it was like all made up of like prop- anti-drug propaganda. Right. But anyway, I just hadn't read anything like that in so long where it's like you're reading the perspective of a teenage girl and it's it's chronological and it kind of it's not written in the style of di- diary entries, but it kind of feels that way. Just like her describing what's happening as it's going along. Yeah. Kind of feels like it's happening in real time. Um. Yeah, just like to get a glimpse of what it's like to be that age. It was fun. And
1: Did she, Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. Did she talk a lot about like drumming? The the um, art, the art of percussion.
0: Not a whole lot. She mm-hmm. talks about like the experience of picking it up and like the challenges and then feeling like she got the hang of it. and um how she understood like the importance of like carrying the beat for the rest of the band. Um,
1: that's that's the golden rule. That's about the only rule that I really care about. With
0: Trump. <laughs> yeah. And she talks about like how it's kind of nice to have like the obscurity of being in the back. Mm-hmm. And not, like, being the front man. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't come across that she's, like, ever super passionate about drumming. Right. She's, she's passionate about music, but I don't think she ever really, like, intended to be a drummer. And I don't know if she, if she even kept up with it.
1: That's probably After the story of, like... I feel like that's a story of like a lot of drummers and bass players. Like you took it up to like fill a role in a band just so you could be in a band. (laughs) And I mean, this with like, with, you know, all due respect truly for like drummers and bass players. Um, The low, the low end, you know?
0: Um,
1: But uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I'll do this. I'll do this thing. Care about like the theory of it or whatever. I'll just like, be in a cool band and play my role and it'll be great
0: yeah yeah i mean and the way they describe it is like these two guys who were already musicians and like i don't know i think they both played guitar and they were writing songs and they wanted to start a band so they were kind of like picking people to join the band and they picked her and her friend laura to be the drummer and the bass player because they thought it would be cool to have like an all-female rhythm section and even like David Bowie when he sees them perform or he sees them practice once and then he sees them perform once and he suggests that like they move her like more center stage her and the bassist to kind of show off like how unique that is that they have a female rhythm section.
1: You've got something (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, this book did, I mean, I already love David Bowie. It made me love him even more.
1: That's cool. Cause it's nice, like a book like that, again, kind of written from the perspective of the average mortal, just hearing that your musical heroes, um, are fine or are funny or are charming or whatever. Yeah. It's nice. I and mean, so many of them things. are terrible assholes. So, yeah.
0: And he really does. I mean, I think he's... <laughs>
1: one of the
0: greatest artists of all time. Thank you. Uh, I said that slowly because <laughs> the last episode I, <laughs> I tried to say that and it sounded like I said okay that he was my no. my favorite artist of all time and then I gaslighted you. What
1: happened is you intentionally fucked no. with my head last episode.
0: No, Messed I up. did not. I did not.
1: Uh, but hearing it
0: back, I was like, oh yeah, it totally sounded like I just said. He's my favorite artist of all time. <laughs> and then I gaslighted you. But anyway. Um, yeah, I really think he's, he is one of the greatest of all time. And he is just such an artist, such a creative person all the way around with like his persona, with the visual aspects of his music. With the music itself, with the lyrics, um, with just like the way he always reinvented himself in all these different stages, and you get that sense reading this book of that he was just an extremely creative person and just like an artistic genius, has so many great ideas and just like wanted to explore like every different avenue of of art and culture. Right, he's a really yeah. intelligent person really cool person and a really kind person but like just a nice person to hang out with
1: right that's always the sense i got of him was like he was totally part of the jet set like somebody like Mick Jagger hanging out at studio 54 but i think a lot of him being like out and about on the scene was from this um in like just genuine curiosity about the world and just like this voracious like need to just like take more in and just develop these ideas and and turn all that stuff into art um
0: yeah totally yeah
1: Yeah, I mean, it never left him, really. You know, like he was just like. Right,
0: even up until his death. I mean, mm-hmm. he like just released an album, like right before. Or, or was it released after he died? It was right around when he died. Yeah. Black Star came out.
1: It was right around the time oh. Star died, too. It was oh, a bad yeah. time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, even in this book, like he's. He's. I think he was recording, like, I want to say it was station to station. And he was doing the Broadway production of Elephant Man, and, and he was, he was like, doing eating...
1: a ton of coke,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was doing a ton of there's a lot of coke in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that that has that's in common with Go Ask Alice the drug use <laughs> <laughs> and uh the potential for addiction. Not that she gets addicted, but um, other people do but anyway, yeah. And he was like, he was painting and he was like. <laughs> she describes him going on SNL to perform, and he performs with Klaus Nomi and oh, sweet. Um, who was the other? It was like some like German drag queen or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I forget who it was, but I watched the performance. You can find it on YouTube, and it was like the most bizarre thing I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, very good.
0: <laughs> just totally yeah, immersed in in all different kinds of art. Um, and one thing I thought was really cool was that she she knew like the the music world just wasn't for her, like the lifestyle, and just felt so exhausted by it mm-hmm. after doing it for a few years. And she was having dinner with David Bowie and. He was, like, really concerned with her because, like, things weren't going well and, like, with the band and stuff with her personal life. And he was like, well, what do, you, what do you want to do? And she said, well, I want to go to college and, like, study English. And he, like, had a big smile. He's like, that's what you should do. And he told her, like, "Don't, don't get into music if it's not for you. Like, don't feel like you need to get into this world and have that lifestyle if it's not right for you don't force it yeah. um and, and it like, was that- like really reassuring to her because she was like having those feelings already and to have somebody who's like one of the biggest stars in the world say that yeah. to you
1: if you're so, out to dinner sure. with david bowie and he and he gives you life advice you you just follow <laughs> that life advice yeah and it turns out okay like he is he yeah. is seen deeply into you yeah
0: well, I think part of it too is like she gets a sense of what it's like to be that level of celebrity where it really mm-hmm. affects your freedom and how you have to live your life, and like how they had to, they couldn't just go into a restaurant. They'd have to like go into this secret restaurant that like nobody knew about in some alleyway, and then they get ushered into like this back room right. where like nobody else is dining in or. They would go into a restaurant like after it had closed, the restaurant would open just for them. And he didn't he wouldn't like walk around and and take cabs for the most part. He would take limos like for the privacy. Um yeah, just stuff like that. Just how when you're on that level, you can't just be a normal person. You have to change everything.
1: Much better. I learning. mean, seriously, I think to live that to live her life, um, and just to have a have a taste of it, honestly.
0: Yeah, that's what's so fun about this book is because, like, if you are a punk fan, you read about the seventies, like New York scene, or any of the punk scenes back in the day, and it just sounds so exciting. And you imagine like what it was like to be young back then, and to like be immersed in that scene. And the, and that book like really gives you that sense it, like it shows you what it, it really was like.
1: Yeah. Then you watch you watch the decline of western civilization and you're like, ah, maybe not the early 80s <laughs> in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not that. Maybe not that, that scene. Yeah. But I have to ask like so she's kind of rubbing shoulders with uh some of the greatest musicians ever. Um, are there any that she kind of paints in like a negative light? <laughs> like does she kind of like dishes uh, on a little bit? Or... Well,
0: the one that she dishes on is Jimmy Destry from Blondie. Yeah. Who she dated and lived with. Um, and she doesn't even like She she doesn't even like talk about him in a critical tone. She just explains matter of factly like what the things that he did, the things he said. Uh, I feel like she's really easy on him because she'll blame, like, things he does on, like, his cocaine addiction. But, I mean, he's, like, sexually violent to her on, like, multiple occasions in the book. Um, and even describing, like, how they met, he was, <laughs> he was like, they were, I think there were CBGBs and, like, he was drunk and he was just, like, coming on to her and, like, groping her and stuff. And my thought was, like, oh, this guy sounds like a total creep. And then it turns out she's, like, I, I was into that guy and oh, I God. couldn't, like...
1: <laughs> this gives you I an insight turn... into, like, why uh, why the boomers are the way they are. <laughs> I
0: like, yeah, like, I couldn't turn off my feelings for him. Oh, and then, they like, like end up getting together. And then, yeah, and then he has, like, these moments where he just, like, demand sex from her and when she says no he gets violent and like Mm -hmm. hits her and stuff and some of the stuff is really disturbing so um yeah that was one person that was not painted in a positive light right but again I feel like she goes too easy on him (laughs) (laughs) but no I think everyone else she had she had good things to say for the most part
1: Yeah, David Byrne is just like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with David? Yeah, just
0: <laughs> David Byrne is not in the book. Actually,
1: he's not. Okay. No,
0: I think she mentions like seeing the Talking Heads. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I think, but I, uh, she definitely doesn't meet them.
1: Okay. You can't have it all. I don't you think. know. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, sometimes maybe... she'll
0: meet. You know, yeah. she might have met like somebody from the band, but not David Byrne. I feel like she'll have moments where she'll meet like
1: She should have formed a band with, uh, with Tina Weymouth.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: Yeah, they could have got Patty Smith to sing. Come on,
0: come on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Talking about it reminds me that I've I've read a fourth music book this year, and that was oh the other God. one you bought me for Christmas, which is sort of a music book. Remember that Michael Imperioli?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, the, the Which also Ber- has Berne David designs. Bowie in
1: it. Uh, Lou no, Reed. it has
0: Lou Reed in it. Sorry. Lou Reed,
1: yeah, Lou Reed is a character in the book. Yeah, I don't need to talk about that one for long. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was it was as as books written by uh actors go, it was it was good. <laughs> I don't think it was great though. I think it was like it felt sort of like three half written books kind of smashed into one that wasn't that wasn't totally all there. Um I thought the scenes with Lou Reed were, were, were very well done actually. Um and kinda made me feel like I needed to get more into Lou Reed
0: yeah um,
1: but um yeah one book that i i really did thoroughly enjoy um was was i think the final one we're going to talk about music a subversive history by ted joya joya yeah this is another one i got as a present for christmas people buy me books what can i say
0: well and you always ask for books for Christmas. Too. That's
1: that's why they buy me books. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's not yeah, it's not like stop it. It's like I want this. Um I thought it was great. And I mean it, it does what it promises. It just kinda tells this history of music that felt sort of familiar to me, but was still just full of surprises like every other page. Like, he begins with the Big Bang. That's the first event he talks about in the history of music. He's like, the universe begins with sound. And then the majority of the book, I mean, it's it's well before recorded music. It's well before even, like, music notation. He just kind of talks about what we know about the earliest human Human societies. And sort of speculates. speculates on what music meant to them and what it might have sounded like. Sorry, it's so fucked up here. I think he does a great job. I mean, it's to his credit that like... This is the second Jack, by the he, way. So much of the book is like kind of him Coming criticizing other music scholars I'm up a to good that mic. point and just kind of like how limited their perspectives have been. Oh, yeah. Like, because they've only cared about things like, oh, you know, like the harmonic resonances Resonances, and and he's after something grander than that. He's on so something he's grander. Reading than like that. the anthropologists and archaeologists and brain scientists and historians, historians, plural. He's a reading lots cool of book. stuff. It's a cool book. He talks again and again about like how music has a power that. It's almost underrated. It's, it's not. just it well like, oh, you put it on and it's It's not just a leisure like, he's activity. Like, That's a way to talk about music. He's it like, music—it's a force do of nature. It's, like, it's more like ma- It's, it's, magic, it. is what it it's is. magic, is what it is. And he especially talks about just the deep links between music and sex and violence. Like, I mean, we see this just in recorded music, in pop music, and rock music, and rap music. Like, sex and violence are the vast majority of songs. Like, literally, they're about sex and violence. Um, or their or their invitations to have sex or commit violent acts Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but even like before that he just says stuff like he'll be like yeah think about all instruments man like what are instruments like they're, they're sinews like strung out like in a harp or like drums or literally skins like stretched taut the earliest instruments were made out of bone you know like a piano used to be made out of elephant tusks are made out of the pieces of dead things (laughs) like it's just like built into like what music is
0: yeah
1: book is just full of like i don't know crazy ideas like that that maybe you like kind of thought about but he just sort of really blows up i had a ton of fun reading it
0: what's sort of the the trajectory of the book like how is it structured is it like sort of about like the history of music from the very beginning up until yes. now. Okay. Yeah, so
1: like just like looking at like the chapters here. I mean, like literally like he doesn't start talking about you know, I I for example, well, I'll have to say this. So like when I was a kid, I remember taking a music class in elementary school. And there were uh, you know, everyone took one of these, right? Where you like Sang in your little kid voice. And you played the clock yeah. and steel. <laughs> yeah. There were posters in the classroom. And they were just of like the great European composers. Mm. And I remember that very. They were just like portraits. Right. Of yeah. all of them. They're all dead white men. Uh, the first one was of Bach. Who lived in the 17th century. I want to say. Might be off there. I should know this. I read the book. But he doesn't get to Bach until like page 200 of this 400 page book. You know, like he has to set the stage for that. He talks about that music like it is interesting. It is. But the way he thinks like those guys are interesting were just how they created like a cult of celebrity. He's like, (laughs) up till that point, the idea of music, of caring about like musicians themselves and their lives and thinking them as people was interesting. That wasn't something at all until that point. Like they created the cult of personality that has continued to this day. Which I was like, oh, that's an awesome way to think about that. You know? Yeah.
0: And Um, now it's like the personality is more important than the music itself.
1: It is. For a lot of musicians. It's gone well beyond that, right? I mean, just think about the way artists are are branded, about about music videos, even just about like the logic of like streaming media. Like who cares about the music itself (laughs) anymore, you know? Um, Prior to that, though, he just talks about like just sort of the push and pull between like, like the sacred and the secular things that were like establishment and things that were, you know, created by outsiders. And like the basic idea of his book is that music has been the province of like freaks, basically, and criminals and marginal people. Uh, and they've always been pushing things forward. And how at every stage in history, the establishment has tried to push back against it. But music it's- is too powerful. It won't be denied. Yeah. And eventually the establishment just has to come to terms with it. And start to like acknowledge it and sort of professionalize it. So like he talks about how Pythagoras, way back in the day, the dude who made the fucking theorem, the triangle man, was <laughs> like, the fucking triangle man was like, Invented like the concept of tuning. And, like before that point, the idea that like a stringed instrument had to be perfectly in tune was not like an accepted thing. It wasn't even like a desired thing necessarily. But he's like, no, we're gonna polish this up. If people must play the fucking lute, then they're gonna do it the right way.
0: That's crazy. It's, it's just it's wild weird to think of like a stringed instrument before tuning. You know, know. that that wouldn't be. I know a concept.
1: And then the other
0: mind blowing thing about that is that Pythagorean invented that. And yet like nobody knows that. Or at least I didn't know that. You didn't know that. I know. It's so everyone learns his theorem in like geometry class.
1: It's funny too, he talks about like that stage. Basically like the you know, like BC 500 to 1500, like it's constantly like which music is dangerous and which is not. And there's like some points where like playing a stringed instrument is like, no, you can't do that. And for the most part, like the drums are always like, holy shit, do not play the drums because drums make people go crazy. Like you have like <laughs> ch- church leaders and politicians and stuff are like, do not play that fucking drum. You're just going to inspire yeah, riot. Oh you know the drum is such a powerful instrument um and then like by the time you get to like the medieval era the middle ages like choral music becomes a thing it's like okay like um um, people have accepted like okay there's a kind of music that's acceptable that's beautiful that's worthy of like promulgating but only the human voice will be like (laughs) (laughs) will be taught will be heard you know you're not gonna play your damn lute um so there's like that that push and pull, but it's interesting, like how the thing his book does toward the end is he's like the most significant musical achievement, like in the last millennium, was was the achievement of black performers in the late 19th and early 20th century, and he's like that's when like it's it's sort of like a revolt against like the Pythagoras thing, against the idea uh-huh. of tuning and like perfection and music being like ideal, like you have. You have bent notes. You suddenly have, like, forms of singing and guitar playing that can't be, like, transcribed so readily. The blues, basically. The blues and jazz. He's like, yeah. this was a whole, this such a revolutionary moment. And it's still, like, the moment we're living in.
0: Yeah, because um, you can't, Yeah, like you said, you can't transcribe that. You can't put that on sheet right. music. Of, like, you, you the can... sound of it and, like, the soul of Precisely. it. Precisely. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah he's like there have been efforts to again to sort of like clean it up and obviously you have like you can hear blues and jazz like in concert halls and stuff and you know it's part of like the library of congress and stuff like that um but that that basic idea you know of and again it comes it comes from marginal people like so much of other music through history has come from has come from slaves, has come from sex workers, has come from women and queer people and people of color and stuff like that, like it came to a head, like in America like around the turn of the century and um, yeah, I mean like there's obviously like the blues and jazz themselves like aren't heard like on the radio now but I mean like all American music since that point can be traced back to to that moment, I think
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: when music got good, when it got good, seriously, fucking classical music, get the shit out of here! Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just like when, honestly, like it's when wildness kind of returned to it, and that's—I mean, we talk about this all the time, like how much we love just like emotional music and music with feeling. Yeah, um, that's to me the sound of rock and roll. All the music that I love, I think, like that's part of it. Um. And yeah, we just owe that to just like people living in huts in the Mississippi Delta, you know, on like no money. All they had was like a shitty fucking untuned guitar. Um, Yeah. That's
0: interesting that he would say like that was the the most pivotal time for music. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's when it really got good. (laughs) But I think that's why I dislike so so much new music. It's because it's like so much of it is mechanical. It's made on a computer. It's yes. so perfected. It's auto-tuned. Yes. It's, you know, it's just machine made and there's not like that grit, that funk, that soul. Yes. Like, there's nothing it feels talks, real about it.
1: He talks about this and it's so good. Let me see if we can find it here. 'Cause it's it's a problem for him too, though. He has the he has faith that like like no paradigm lasts for long, you know, eventually Yeah, I
0: can see that. No, mm-hmm. This is just a phase. Things will change like they always do.
1: Look at Talk amongst yourselves. Um... <laughs> yeah, he's actually quoting this philosopher. Um the, I think it's just like toward the end he does talk about about contemporary music. The last couple chapters are about the two thousands and about now and he talks about streaming and just and algorithms and just and click tracks and the way like music is made digitally and what you're talking about, basically how and he says he's he's quoting here, he says, the smooth is the signature of the present time. Philosopher Byung Chul Han recently announced, "Quote: It connects the sculptures of Jeff Koons, iPhones, and Brazilian waxing. Han <laughs> sees the smoothness everywhere and links it to the same ideology of positivity that reduces social interactions to likes on Facebook and promotes the use of Photoshop images with their fantasy of blemish-free visages and perfectly contoured bodies." Um,
0: uh... He doesn't mention
1: contemporary music but it also participates, also participates in the uh, after decades of Africanized bent notes and complex timbers hit songs are returning to pure Pythagorean tones sometimes delivered dead on the center Singer, or in many instances, later manipulated, manipulated in per- perfection by, by auto tinkering. At times, it's almost um- as if producers have forgotten the whole African revolution in singing and the vocal ideals of the 1890s have returned. Harmonies have undergone a comparable whitening. Mm. The current-day pop sensibility hasn't just abandoned blues chords, but often operates without any reliance on tritones, that biting interval that has driven functional harmony for centuries. Syncopations have mostly disappeared from melodies and supporting rhythms, the latter now tending to seamless patterns, smooth and repetitive. If you were redesigning music from a blank page with... Achieving maximum smoothness. These are precisely the choices you would make. So wow. yeah, I love the that way that just talk-
0: sums yeah. up like everything I hate about contemporary
1: right? music. I know it's so good. The whole chapter is, is is sort of like that. You can tell he's kind of he's just bothered by it. He's a scholar of jazz yeah. I think first and foremost. So, um, yeah, yeah. Really good. I love how he just writes about music too. I mean, it it honestly was like that was a little heavier just in terms of talking about like the tritones and that sort of thing. I feel like he really does strike a balance between like he's written it for for music heads, Um, but it's it's done like really accessibly, I think, and and with wit. Um, So so yeah, I I recommend music: A Subversive History by Ted Gioia. G -G I O I A.
0: When you said that it just really reminded me of reading rainbow like i really enjoyed this book and you should too yeah. or
1: whatever but don't what take they, my word for it say?
0: yeah don't take my word for it
1: lavar <laughs> burden baby <laughs> yeah yeah
0: reading rainbow take a look in the book Reading Rainbow. Reading
1: we've taken a look into several rainbow. books this episode and we have found a reading rainbow
0: yeah, that's beautiful.
1: <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> talk about the Dylan book.
0: Yeah, I think you and your brother need to do an episode where you just do like dramatic readings from that book because there's
1: so much to unpack. But yeah, the more than excerpts anything...
0: that I've heard from you are just comedic <laughs> gold.
1: They're just bonkers. It's so zany. So I don't think the book really works as like a as anything, like, philosophical or, like, comprehensive about American music, but, like, in terms of, yeah, just, like, hilarity, my God. I mean, he's <laughs> still he's still got it. Like. Yeah.
0: Whether it's intentional or not.
1: I know. I think sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. I want to read that book.
1: That uh, Subversive History. I think you'd really like it. Great. Especially because, like, I don't know, like, you read, like, like some pop science stuff, and uh, you know, you're you're like a you're like a, not a nonfictioner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you
0: know, I I like to kind of alternate between like fiction and nonfiction.
1: Yeah, I would love to have a book podcast, in addition to this one. <laughs> I don't want I'm not gonna turn this one to a book podcast, but
0: <laughs> you could but... call it every day. I read the book. There you go.
1: That, that was a pretty good title, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess. All right. Well, hopefully, everyone right. enjoyed this foray into pages and words, <laughs> paragraphs, <laughs> chapters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: chapters. Gershbrim. Uh, uh. <laughs>
1: <giver. laughs>
0: anyway. My Thanks, favorite bird.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. All right.
1: Bye. See you next time. But bye I'm bye. In the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. Ways to grow a reading rainbow. I can be anything. Take a look, it's in a book a reading rainbow.